Hi, and welcome back to another edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Rubinson, and it's only Alex Rubinson today, as Shai Dweck, who normally joins me on this podcast, cannot make it this week. So, obviously, Week seven's here. The trade deadline is fast, is quickly approaching, as we've already had a major trade just today, Yannick Ngakwe being traded for the second time in really a span of just two months. After Jacksonville traded him to the Vikings, the Vikings traded him to Baltimore as they did as, you know, that was kind of a failed experiment as the Vikings are not the team they thought they were coming into this season. So we're going to break down the trade. Uh, We're probably going to lead off with the trade and uh, we'll also then cover every game this weekend. So let's get right into it because it's game time. So let's start with this Yannick Ngakwe trade. Kind of just breaking down, kind of just the return and the trade itself. The Baltimore Ravens are acquiring Yannick Ngakwe for a 2021 third round pick and then a conditional fifth round pick in 2022. I believe he would have to make the Pro Bowl on the first ballot for that fifth round pick to maybe become a fourth round pick. Although I am not not quite sure. Some of these details are still are still com- coming out as the trade did not bre- did broke not that long ago. And it's interesting because the Vikings, you know, as I kind of mentioned in the opening, the Vikings traded for Yannick Ngakwe at the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, Yannick's on a one-year deal, and they can't negotiate with him as that one-year deal is the franchise tag. And with the Vikings, obviously, not where they thought they would be. You know, you're trying to shed some salary, uh, especially with the the salary cap getting lowered, and at be- at best it stays really the same because it's not gonna, it's not going to go up like it normally does. So you know you're trying to shed some salary this time of year, and Minnesota is also you know they're trying to accumulate draft picks. If you're if you're not a buyer and you're a seller, which Minnesota uh, does a pretty good job, I think of in in this situation, just kind of looking themselves in the mirror. And just seeing that they're not the team they thought they were. So they're able to get some picks back. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the Vikings, when they acquired Ngakwe, they gave up uh, a similar, but not, you know, they did give up slightly more as they had to give up a 2021 second round pick and then also a conditional fifth in 2022 that I guess now will stay a fifth and not go to a fourth. But, you know, based on where the Vikings will be picking, you know, initially when this trade went down, it seemed like the Vikings would be picking in really the lower third, lower fourth of the draft. So that second round pick that Jacksonville would be getting, you know, would be an obviously a valuable pick. You know, if you have a second round pick, that's obviously a valuable pick. But it wouldn't, you know, initially thought, you know, it wouldn't be a top 40 or even 50 pick. Now, with the way the Vikings are headed, this could be a pick in the top, you know, 10 to 12 in the first round. Now, I do think... You know, Minnesota's, they're not going to finish 1-15. They're not going to finish 3-13. and They're going to win some games. Even with Daniel Hunter, who is their other pass rusher, he's out for the year. Uh, I can really report today as he is getting a herniated disc uh, kind of solved as he had one in his neck. They thought maybe he could, you know, play through it. You know, he would miss some time, but it turns out that he's going to be end up, he's going to end up missing the entire season with that injury as he's getting neck surgery. 
So, you know, Minnesota, obviously, you know, this was a team that I picked to win the division. Obviously, that's not looking likely as Kirk Cousins has been very inconsistent this year, especially with a promising duo at receiver and obviously one of the top running backs in Dalvin Cook. So this Vikings team has pieces, and it'll be very interesting to see on their perspective. You know, Anthony Harris they uh, is also on the franchise tag for them. Do they try to move him? So, you know, how does Minnesota go about these next a uh, couple of weeks as the trade deadline quickly approaches. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the trade deadline uh, falls on November 3rd this year. So as we get closer to that November 3rd date, look for a lot more trades. And this was one that definitely came out of the blue. So now, you know, that was kind of Minnesota's side. Going to Baltimore, I mean, Eric DaCosta, their general manager, just does such a good job of, you know, acquiring really, you know, good talent on, you know, all around that team, but lately on that defense for, you know, mid-round picks, you know. So now you're pairing Yannick Ngakwe with Matthew Judon, with Clayus Campbell, who, what, you gave up a fifth for? And, I mean, that's looking like a really good investment there. And obviously that secondary led by Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphreys, even though they cut Earl Thomas, that defense has been, elite. I mean, they've been one of the best defenses in the NFL in all across the board. So that defense, now both their pass rushers, Judon and Nanuk Ngakwe, are on the franchise tag. So it'll be really interesting how they go about that maybe after the season, again, with the salary cap not, you know, expanding or, you know, as it normally does. But a really good trade by Baltimore. Minnesota, you know, they thought they were in one now mode. I thought it was a pretty good trade for them at the time. I thought this was a team that had the chance to make a a deep run into the playoffs, but obviously that is not the case. So uh, obviously that kind of that was probably the, the big story of the day. Uh, another story is for Baltimore. Baltimore really making moves is they're expected to bring in wide receiver Des Bryant in for a workout, and if all goes well during that workout and physical it could be very possible that they will sign him to the practice squad. So he wouldn't be part of the active roster immediately, but obviously, you know, they probably want to ease him in. You know, a guy who has not played football in a long time. Remember the last time he did sign was with the Saints and first practice he tore his Achilles. So, you know, Baltimore's offense, I feel like, has lacked that that almost it factor. You know, last year they kind of caught everyone by surprise, people were thinking it would regress. Obviously, <laughs> Lamar Jackson had other plans, but that offense has not been as potent. And I mean, look, they've had their moments, but you look at also some of their better plays and then the level of competition they've gone against. I feel like it just hasn't had that p- potent, uh, power, powerful ability that it did last year. So that defense has been dominant. So, you know, adding a guy like Yannick will only make that defense better. But the Des Bryant addition... Is going to be really interesting to watch. You know, if if they do something to the practice squad, I think it'll, you know, it'll be all eyes on Des Bryant just because we haven't seen him for a while and we don't know what we be getting from him. But we've seen if he can be half of what he was in Dallas, that could be a game changer for that Ravens offense. Give them, you know, along with their tight ends and uh, Marquise Brown, a big play, a big play threat, a big receiver who can go up and get it. You know, give Lamar. You know, Lamar can just throw it up, and Des Bryant, with his size and those those big hands of his, he can go up and get those 50-50 balls. You know, a nice red zone threat as well for Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense. So, 
obviously those are probably the big non non game news of the day of the week. So let's now get right into these games. And as of this recording, we're rec- I'm recording this on a Thursday. So of course there will be Thursday night football. The New York Football Giants coming off their first win of the season against the Washington Football Team. Uh, they're going for another uh, their second division game, third division game in a row actually. As they're taking on the one-win Philadelphia Eagles. So, 1-5 Giants against 1-4-1. And, and yet, this is a huge game for the division as the Eagles find themselves a half game out of first. And the Giants find themselves a game out of first. And it's very possible if the Giants win this game that, you know, if the Giants win and the Cowboys lose, Cowboys would still have, I guess, what, Washington? It'd almost be a triangle because... They'd all be two and five. Giants beat Washington. Washington would have been Dallas. That's how Dallas, you know, would have been two and five if they lose this week. And then Dallas beat the Giants. So it'd almost be, you know, one team beat another team, but that team lost to that team. So, you know, it'd be the whole NFC East is a mess. As really, you know, what best case scenario for that division, or really, I guess, in terms of record, the leader after what seven weeks would be three and four, and that would be. Cowboy, the Cowboys, who put up an embarrassing performance on Monday night against the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they get a little healthier as Deshaun Jackson uh, will be back tonight. And obviously, he just, even at his age, he might not be the same guy he was, you know, six, seven years ago. But he still provides that threat, that that speed element where he can really run by anyone. So that should really help Carson once. But I think at the end of the day, as big of an addition as Deshaun Jackson is, the biggest addition for Philly tonight is going to be their tackle, Lane Johnson. We talk about it all the time, how that offensive line has really struggled, and mainly because it's just so banged up. So I think getting one of your better players on that line back, especially at the tackle position, Carson Wentz should should play better tonight as, you know, he he knows he has some protection. He knows he has an offensive lineman that has blocked for him that he can consistently rely on. For the Giants, it's going to be interesting because, again, as of this recording, we still don't know if Sterling Shepard is going to play. As Shepard's, he had a toe injury, turf toe, in week two, and it kind of got overshadowed because... His injury happened in the same half as the Saquon Barkley torn ACL. So obviously, the name recognition of Saquon, along with the the in, the type of injury, a torn ACL, you're out for the year, turf toe. You know, it, it's painful, very painful. But usually, you're not out for the year, or you know. So we'll see with Shepard. Obviously, if he's back, that's that's big for the Giants, as you know, it's kind of been Darius Slayton and everyone else because Golden Tate has really been non-existent in that offense. So I think Shepard providing that safety blanket for Jones should help Jones a lot. But overall, this Giants offense just has not been able to score touchdowns. I mean, they haven't been able to really sustain drives, but even those few times when they do sustain drives, too often they end up settling for field goals. And Graham Gano, who's their kicker, has been excellent. He's been lights out, nearly automatic. But at the end of the day, when you're facing these great offenses and, you know, all really every you know week you know you're seeing offenses put up points across the league obviously records in terms of points being scored so you know the Giants have they have to score touchdowns and I think at the end of the day I think they're going to struggle to consistently push the ball down the field move the ball down the field this Eagles defense has not been great so you know maybe the Giants they have to get Evan Engram more involved Evan Engram 
you know, they're not using him the way he needs to be used. I believe Engram has a lot of talent, but they have to use him better to his skill set, which I thought they would, especially with Joe Judge, you know, really trying to push that narrative of, you know, putting guys in a position to succeed, but that has not been the case with Evan Engram. So I'm going with the Eagles. Lane Johnson's probably the biggest addition. Uh, they still have Carson Wentz at quarterback who, you know, he's played well over the last few weeks, had a chance to beat Pittsburgh, and then was right there at the end against Baltimore where, you know, if they make the two-point conversion, who knows what happens. So I think the Eagles get their second win of tonight, and I guess, you know, would move and then depending on what happens against Washington, Dallas would still be right in the thick of things. In the NFC East, the the sorry, sorry NFC East division. So now let's go to the games that begin on Sunday. The Detroit Lions take on the Atlanta Falcons, and this game I expect to be a shootout. Both defenses aren't great. I know Detroit's defense has been solid at times, maybe not as bad as we originally thought. But at the end of the day, both defenses are anything but star-studded. And Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan, two very good quarterbacks. Both offenses are healthy as the Falcons got Julio back. And it seems like, yeah, maybe he missed practice. I still expect him to play on Sunday. And again, with it's in Atlanta, but obviously both teams play in a dome. So I just think every this game has the making to be a complete shootout. I think a lot of, you know, it's going to be a great uh, fantasy game. I think Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford are both going to put up points i think both receivers you know both receiver duos jones and galladay and then rid or i guess marvin jones and galladay and then julio jones and ridley i think will also have big games so i'm gonna go with the atlanta falcons i think you know sometimes like that hardest win is the first to get and i think that may have been the case with the falcons i think you know they make it two in a row here obviously you know yes they're technically improving but two and five is nothing to write home about but i, I think uh did, or Atlantic as their second win of the season in a shootout that should be a really competitive, good game against the Detroit Lions. So now let's go to the Cleveland Browns coming off a really, really bad and ugly loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I was pretty confident the Steelers would win. I know Shy wasn't was not as confident, but I don't know. I just thought Cleveland, they had been a lot of good teams, but they hadn't been a powerhouse like the Steelers are. Steelers obviously undefeated. We're going to get to that game, probably the game of the week possibly, in just a sec. They're, Cleveland's taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Cleveland already beating Cincinnati earlier this season. And I think Cleveland, look, they're coming off a bad loss, but I think in uh, in past years, they may have made this two in a row. Two in a, you know, Two losses in a row. Great start. But you get one bad loss, and it kind of snowballs into a three or four game losing streak. I really like. I think Kevin Stefanski is going to be a very good co- head coach, and I think he's done a pretty good job so far. So I don't think he's going to let that happen. I think the Browns get uh, right back on track as they get their fifth win of the season, improving to five and two. But I think you know I think Burrow is going to have a good game for Cincinnati. I think. Uh, this Bengals offense is going to do pretty well, and I think Bengals fans do have a lot of excitement and a lot to hope for, just based on what we've seen so far this season from Joe Burrow. But I think at the end of the day, like I said a few weeks ago in their first meeting, Cleveland has too much firepower to lose this type of game. So now let's go to possibly the game of the week. There are, I believe, three teams remaining who are undefeated, and two of them are facing off. 
the 5-0 Pittsburgh Steelers against the 5-0 Tennessee Titans. Game is in Tennessee. And I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. As I said, you know, just a couple minutes ago, I thought the Steelers would handle the Browns pretty well. I guess, you know, we know how dominant that defense can be. We saw it last week, and I was, you know, texting with Shy that Steelers defense, I feel like, hasn't been as dominant overall. You know, Philly was able to put up some points. and But at the end of the day, I think this is still, in my mind, the best defense in the NFL. You have Ben Roethlisberger, who's playing at an MVP-type level, and then Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster is a great wide receiver duo. And with all the hate on James Conner after week one, um, Conner's bounced back, and look, he's looked really sharp lately. So the Tennessee Titans, I think this is going to be a really competitive game. That Ryan Tando is playing out of his mind, as is Derrick Henry. And after their long layoff, they apply, they have played surprisingly incredibly sharp. They've come out of the gates, you know, really well. And this is going to be a great game, but I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. At the end of the day, I just think that Steelers defense is so dominant. And it's better than Tennessee's defense at the end of the day. So I just think Roethlisberger is going to have a pretty good game. I think the Steelers offense should be able to put up points. I think the Titans offense should be able to uh, really hang in there as well. But I, I just think at the end of the day... The way the Steelers are playing, especially their you know defense, that has to be more consistent. You know, Cleveland, they have the firepower, but they've been inconsistent at times. Titans, they're over these last over the last season, really since Tannehill took over. The Titans have been a very consistent team, consistent offense. They won't really hurt themselves as much as we've seen Cleveland do over the last year. So I definitely think you know they're not going to beat themselves up. Maybe like Cleveland did a few times. But I, at the end of the day, I think the Steelers' defense is going to come up big and make a play, and they're going to get a a win and a win that should be a real, a really good game. This might be the game of the week as the Steelers will improve to six and zero, and I think Tennessee will get their first loss of the season. So now let's go to another uh, div- division game as the Carolina Panthers are taking on the New Orleans Saints. Michael Thomas still, you know, a bit banged up, not practicing. Uh, this game's in New Orleans, and the Panthers have played, you know, they're 3-3. Three and three. They played surprisingly really well. I don't think a lot of people, including myself, expected them to be in this position six games through the season. New Orleans, 3-2. and two, And I'm going to go with the Saints. I, You know, I know Drew Brees has not played his best football, uh, but I do think, I do think obviously Drew Brees is a very good quarterback. I think he's going to do enough to win. That Saints defense has been, you know, up and down at times. But, uh, um, you know, you have Lattimore. That secondary should be healthy now. So, yeah, I'm, go- I'm going with the New Orleans Saints at home to beat their division rival Panthers and improve to 4-2 and two on the season. Now let's go to a game that I don't know how close it'll be. I don't think it'll be very close. The Buffalo Bills taking on the New York Jets, and wow, the Jets are a mess. I mean, they lose 24-0 to the Miami Dolphins, and I mean, this this team, it's a mess. It's a matter of when, not if, Gase gets fired. Again, you know, the Bills, they've come out flat the last couple of weeks, but I think it's a get-right game for Josh Allen, you know, a guy who we were talking about MVP, now, you know, maybe he's drifting back to earth, back to the norm. Uh, at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, though, I think Josh Allen does have a big game. I think overall this Bills defense has a big game. And the Bills, 
whether the score indicates it or not, the Bills should win this game pretty easily. I do want to go back though to one uh, to the Lion to the Lions. I won't really talk about that game, but I was talking about how Gase I think will be fired. Uh, whether it's at the end of the year or in the middle of the year, I think he'll be fired at some point. I think the same goes uh, for Matt Patricia, a guy who was reportedly late to his own meetings. When he took over, this was a solid football team in 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, Not great, but they were always middle of the pack. They made the playoffs under Jim Caldwell. This was always a solid football team, and ever since Patricia took over, it's been all downhill from there. I was a little surprised Patricia was not fired at the end of last year. So we'll see if Patricia's the next coach to go, but at some point I do expect Matt Patricia to be let go as the or as the Lions head coach uh, sooner rather than later. And the same can be said for their general manager, Bob Quinn, although I think there's a lot, you know, obviously firing a GM can have a lot more question marks than the head coach. So, you know, I was kind of, I kind of alluded to this matchup earlier the Dallas Cowboys are taking on the Washington football team, and it was ugly. If you watch Monday night, you know what I'm talking about. Andy Dalton looked really, really bad. He did not. I thought he was. I he didn't even look like the guy we saw last year from Cincinnati. I mean, he looked that bad. And Zeke has to take care of the football. The defense. I don't even know if they were trying. I mean, they just don't. They don't play with heart. I don't know if it's a lack of talent because there are some really good players on that team. But this Cowboys team just came out flat. I think some of it's a reflection of the coaches, but some of it the players have have to show more effort. And I guess, yeah, some of that is the coaches. But I think this is a bounce-back game. You know, Washington, ever since that uh, comeback win against Philly, they've kind of come back to what we thought they were, a bottom dweller, you know, a team that wasn't really going to compete. I mean, again, they're really just a game out of first place due to the due to the just tremendous failure that the NFC East is. So I, I expect this to be a get-right game for Dallas, a get-right game for Andy Dalton, and that defense. That defense has to play better. They're not facing this high-powered offense. They're not facing this offense that can do so many things or has so many weapons. This defense has to play better because if Washington's able to score at will and drive up and down the field, that that Obviously, that's a huge red flag and something that will cause a ton of concern as we recap the game as, you know, coming out, kind of playing maybe Monday morning quarterback the following week. So, you know, I expect Dallas to get the win here. I expect Andy Dalton to play much better. Uh, you know, At the end of the day, I do think Andy Dalton can still be a decent quarterback, a quarterback who's not going to lose a lot of games. And some of it was his fault, but that offensive line is so banged up. That offensive line did not help him. Gallup dropped the touchdown. Zeke fumbled twice. And that defense was basically a no-show. So they have to play better around Andy Dalton. But Andy Dalton also has to play better. Because if he plays how he did on Monday night, the Cowboys might not win many games, if any, after going forward. So now let's go to another interesting game. A team that was undefeated in the Green Bay Packers that lost last week and really got embarrassed. I mean, they got embarrassed. They went up 10 nothing, a couple picks by Aaron Rodgers, and all of a sudden they absolutely got trounced 38-10. to And the Houston Texans, you know, obviously they started off really slow, got a win, and then almost had a win last week. You know, if... Tennessee doesn't score the game-time touchdown with four seconds left, you know, it's back-to-back wins for Houston. 
This game's in te- in Houston. I expect this to be a really competitive game. I think Deshaun Watson, even as good as that Green Bay defense has been at times this year with Jair Alexander leading the way, I think Watson's going to have a pretty good game. I think this Texans offense should have a pretty good game. But at the end of the day, I do think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a bounce-back game. And I think Devontae Adam- Adams is going to have a huge game. And overall, I just think this Packers team, they're going to come out a little angry after last week. They know that... You know, they were playing well and probably could have, you know, won that game before, you know, the game kind of got flipped upside down. And before they knew it, they, you know, were down double digits. So I think Green Bay is, they're going to have a bounce back game here. They're going to have a bounce back game. I expect them uh, to get their fifth win and get right back in that win column and improve to five and one in Houston. I mean, you know, assuming they do lose this game, that would put them at 1-6. And, and remember, they don't have a first-round pick. They traded to Miami. It's part of the Laramie Tunsil trade. So Miami looks like right now they're, Miami's doing better than Houston. And it looks like Miami, even if they win, you know, a few more games with Tua, who, you know, I'll probably talk about that at the end of the podcast, they still could have a top-10 pick, not because of how well or poorly they're doing, because of how poorly... Houston's doing so I mean my Dolphins and their fan base are probably very excited with the way things are going but I mean remember Houston uh you know I think they they had a top five pick a couple of years ago and they traded it without knowing they would have a top five top five pick to Cleveland this was when they trade up now they did trade up for Deshaun Watson so I think you know there you can't really say they lost the trade because it was a full year in an, it was a full year uh, in advance of the draft. Cleveland got the top five pick, and Cleveland ended up taking Denzel Ward. So, obviously, Houston, I think they would probably do that again because they do have their franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. But, oh, man, if you lose another top ten pick on a team that, yes, they have Watson, but you look around that team, they have a lot of holes. So, I mean, Houston, you know, they went all in. And understandably so, when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, that's what you do, especially, I guess now he's not on his rookie contract, but, uh, you know, beforehand he was. I mean, Houston's in a really bad place, and despite having Deshaun Watson, that destination for a general manager, that's not, you know, that's a general manager is not going to want to take over that situation. A head coach might, because there is talent, especially at the quarterback position, but... You know, you, there is some talent, but there are also a lot of holes on that team. So I think a, it's a way more attractive place to go if you were a head coach than if you were a general manager. So Houston could be in trouble, not just because they've really struggled this year, but because of their lack of draft capital that now I guess former head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien traded away. So, those are those are the 1 o'clock games. So, now let's go to the these afternoon games. And there are definitely some very interesting afternoon games. And we're going to start with the, the Chiefs taking on the Denver Broncos. As Chiefs, I mean, they beat Buffalo. They beat Buffalo pretty well. And what was so interesting about that game is because... We know the Chiefs as, like, this flashy track star of an offense. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Miko Hardman, and obviously Patrick Mahomes and his monster arm. But they ran it down the Bills' throats. This Bills team that, you know, is supposed to be, you know, strong at the point of attack. 
They're going to grind out wins. It's not going to look pretty, but that's how the Bills win games, and that's how their team is structured, and Sean McDermott and Bean, their general manager, have done a tremendous job with that. But the Chiefs, a team that's not known for that, ran it down their throat with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they gained yards at will, and they just kept running it, and Buffalo had no answers. Now they add Le'Veon Bell, which obviously is another dimension to this already incredible, potent offense. But if the Chiefs can run the ball when they want, where they want, down a team's throat, and again, the Bills are strong, should be strong at the point of attack. That's how they win games, in the trenches, you know, grinding it out, not always making it look pretty. So if the Chiefs can do that to the Buffalo Bills, that's scary for opposing defenses and really just opposing teams because we've always thought, you know, oh, you know, don't let them play deep and... You know, I don't want the Chiefs were never one dimensional because they did have a really good run game, but it was impressive and something I hadn't seen from a Chiefs team or really an Andy Reid team in a while just because of how they won, of how they just dominated the Bills at the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball for, for the most part. I mean, and if you're a Bills fan, if you're the Buffalo Bills, that's why I was saying this, you know, game against the Jets is almost a get rate game because. Although I thought the Chiefs would win, I was a little surprised to see them win that way in that fashion. And I think it was pretty embarrassing uh, to watch if you were a Bills fan or a member of the Bills because they usually don't get gashed like that. They usually don't get beat like that. Those are the games they usually win, and the Chiefs went right in there and did what they want in the run game, where they wanted at the line of scrimmage, and just flat out embarrassed them. So, against Denver, I know I guess the last time I thought KC would win pretty handily, they did not. <laughs> they did lose to the Vegas Raiders. And, you know, I guess it's supposed to be cold. I think it might be supposed to snow even in Denver. So, you know, we'll see if maybe Denver with Drew Locke. Hey, the, the Broncos are coming off a win against the Patriots. I know Drew Locke may not have played well, but, you know, hey, that, Den- that Denver D shut down Cam Newton made the Patriots look really bad, and Bill Belichick, who's normally an extremely, you know, obviously, he's the greatest coach of all time, so Patriots teams are always well-coached, well-prepared, and that Broncos defense shut the Patriots down, Patriots didn't really have many answers, and, I mean, Denver really made a statement, you know, in that game, in that win. I do think, though, Denver kind of comes back to earth. I do think KC gets a win here. I do think the Chiefs improve to 6-1. and one, But that's definitely, even if they lose this game, Denver, that win against New England is definitely something to be proud of and something to build on. You're obviously not going to look in the rearview mirror. You know, that's in the past. You move on. You always look forward. But that's definitely, a, you know, a momentum-building win, something that you can really build a foundation on. And you can always, you know, say, you know, we can beat anyone. You know, we beat this team, we can beat anyone. And where you point to and say, this team has what it takes to win, to surprise some people and pull off some upsets now and then. This Denver team has talent. Obviously, Corden Sutton's out for the year. Von Miller's out for the year. Drew Locke missed a lot of time. So this Broncos team has dealt with their own fair share of injuries. But, you know, I do think, at the end of the day, I do think they come back to earth. But that was a very impressive win last week against those New England Patriots. So now, 
speaking of those New England Patriots, they're taking on the San Francisco 49ers. In New England, the return of Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, this, you know, we've been waiting for this game since the trade was made, especially since the Niners almost won the Super Bowl last year. That was obviously when the schedule came out, a game that, you know, many fans kind of circled as, you know, the return of Jimmy G and and especially in him when Brady left, it's, you know, Jimmy G was supposed to be the successor and now it's Cam Newton. As yeah, this this is gonna be a very competitive game. Interesting to watch. Obviously, it's two of the best coaches right now. Belichick again of all time, but also right now Kyle Shanahan is right up there uh, with Belichick again right now. I'm not I'm not saying Belichick lost a step, but that also just shows how good of a coach Kyle Shanahan is. And Belichick said it himself that. Even with that extra week of preparation against Denver, not having those on-field live reps, not you know meeting face-to-face to install that game plan, that really hurt the Patriots. And I think you could see that with Cam Newton. Obviously, coming off uh, his diagnosis with COVID-19, he's obviously fine now. He would not have played last week if he wasn't. But, you know, New England, I think this is a game they win. The game is in New England. I think that defense is going to create a lot of problems for Jimmy Garoppolo. I know Garoppolo played much better last week than he did against the Miami Dolphins. But I do think Garoppolo struggles in this game. I think Belichick is going to... Obviously, he's wor- Garoppolo's worked with Belichick. I think Belichick is going to scheme up some really creative things on defense to you know mix up looks and confuse uh, Garoppolo at times. So I think the Patriots are going to get the win. This, I think Cam Newton, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game. I think both both teams have pretty good defenses. But uh, I, I, just, I just think um, Cam, not, sorry, not Cam, Bill Belichick is just going to really confuse uh, some of that, some of uh, what the Niners do on offense. He, you know, he knows the talent that George Kittle is. Obviously, coaching Rob Gronkowski, he knows what a tight end of Kittle's skill set can do and kind of just take over a game. So, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to completely neutralize Kittle. I don't know if any team could neutralize Kittle. But, you know, Grob or Belichick always, you know, he always takes what you do best, takes your number one weapon, and just tries to eliminate him. So, again, I don't know if he'll be able to completely eliminate Kittle. Not many teams can do that. But I do think that he might be able to neutralize Kittle. Or not, not neutralize, but limit Kittle to the point where he's not completely taking over the game. Where it's not like if the Patriots do lose, they're like, wow, George Kittle had, you know, 12 for 100 and two touchdowns. Like, I'd be very surprised to see that stat line from anyone on the Niners, but especially George Kittle, because of how well known he is as that playmaker, that all around playmaker. So I believe the Patriots, after, you know, they're two and three. They're two and three. They haven't. I don't think they've had what a losing record since, you know, or in October since what two thousand one or two thousand two. So it's been a, it's been a very very long time since the Patriots found themselves in this position. So I do think the Patriots battle you know battle back to five hundred. They get their third one of the year, and I I still think that division. Although I do think Buffalo wins it, I don't think it's over. The division race isn't over. 
Miami's Miami's better than New England. <laughs> now, obviously, I don't expect it to finish that way, but I, I do think this uh, division is still up for grabs, and I do believe that New England can uh, is very much in, in conversation for one of the wild card spots again with seven teams in each conference, not the typical six. So. Now let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who uh, they're taking on the Chargers, but kind of before we discuss the game, I obviously talked earlier about Adam Gates and how I expect him to be fired uh, in the, you know, whether it's at the end of the year or midseason, I expect him to be fired fairly soon, and, you know, I kind of said the same goes for Matt Patricia. Well... For Doug Marone, I kind of expect the same fate. Remember, it was reported that he had been fired, then he hadn't been fired. So, you know, we know that the Jaguars were pretty close to letting Marone go. And they start off so well. You know, they beat, they upset the Colts, they nearly upset the Titans. But kind of ever since, ever since that, the Jaguars have kind of fallen back into that team we expected. A team that maybe they can upset you. You know, they can pull off an upset, but a team that's going to be one of the bottom dwellers, they'll be much closer to the number one pick than winning the division. And, uh, the, you know, Justin Herbert now. You know, Justin, going to the Chargers side, Justin Herbert's looked incredible. I'll be interested to see, coming off a of bye, how does he perform? But I'm going with the Chargers here. I just think Justin Herbert, what he's shown, he's shown that, you know, he's obviously we knew he was talented. It was all about showing that that consistency. Can he stay consistent? And we knew he could make all the throws. It was just about eliminating some of the mistakes, some of the mistakes where you're, you know, kind of shaking your head saying, why would you ever even think of throwing that? And now, you know, we've seen him still make a mistake here and there. Usually he'll make one or two bad throws a game that either will result in a turnover or should have resulted in a turnover. But, uh, so we'll see with Herbert. But I do expect him to have a big game. I think this Chargers offense should do pretty well. And this Chargers defense, I think, you know, it's played pretty well at times. Obviously, you know, some in some games it's played better than others, which is what you expect from any defense, really. But, uh, you know, I expect Jacksonville to kind of continue on their <laughs> losing path and continue fighting for one of the top picks in the draft. I know they obviously, I mean, they're not tanking, obviously, and they're not trying to lose. But they are, I expect at the end of the day, will finish with one of the top picks. So there are a lot of one-win teams, though. You know, you'll look. Obviously, the Jets are, you know, the season ended today. We're not even halfway through. But the Jets are picking one as the lone winless team. But then you look, like, down the list. There, There's a good, what, six, seven, eight, maybe more one-win teams. There are a lot of... One and five, one and four, a lot of one-win teams, and even the Chargers, a team that has played very well. They almost beat the Patriots, or not the Patriots, they almost beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They almost beat Mahomes and the Chiefs. They almost beat Drew Brees and the Saints. These are the top quarterbacks, again, even if Brees has not played very well this year. These are quarterbacks who either are locks for the Hall of Fame or are on that trajectory, in Mahomes' case. So... You know, the Chargers, they almost beat the Panthers in the last play of the game, but they could have executed kind of the, the hook and ladder correctly. So, this Chargers team is is 1-4, but I think, you know, it, it almost seems like they should have 2-3 wins uh, instead of the 1-1s. One one. So this is probably, one, this is probably the, one of the better 1-win teams in the NFL. So, I expect them to finally get that second win, finally come out on top, and not find some 
you know, heartbreaking way to blow this game. I feel like they finally escape escape that and get a win, another win on this 2020 season. So now let's go to the Seattle Seahawks, the 5-0 Seattle Seahawks. Again, we talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Tennessee Titans, that 5-0 battle. And now we have a very important division game. The 5-0 Seahawks, the third undefeated team, taking on the 4-2 Cardinals. This game is in Arizona, if that matters at all, which I think it does because Cardinals are more accustomed to playing in a dome in you know, controlled weather or at least warmer weather when Seattle, you know, obviously is very accustomed to playing in the cold of Seattle. So, I think the Seahawks win. I think they improved to 6 and 0. It's going to be tough to pick against this team. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated. I don't think they go undefeated, and I think they might lose a game that no one expects them. But it's going to be tough to pick against them, and obviously picking and actually winning two completely different things. So, but in this case, I I would be a little surprised. I wouldn't be completely shocked, I guess, but I'd be fairly surprised if the Seattle Seahawks, with a full, a full other week of preparation, Cardinals coming off a bit of a short week. They played Monday night, bit of a short week. Seattle now really two weeks of preparation for this game. Pete Carroll, a great head coach, I expect Russell Wilson and this team to be ready to play. And you know, again, maybe it will have no effect on this game. But I did want to, I guess, just point out that Schefter uh, and a bunch of others are reporting that Antonio Brown might be assigning with the team fairly soon. His suspension will be up after week eight. So not this week, not next week, but the week after, you know, after week eight. That's when his suspension will be up. And the Seahawks right now are kind of the main contenders, the uh, based on what I've you know seen and heard, it seems like they might be the front line contenders for Antonio Brown. And I was thinking about this: Antonio Brown makes every offense better. I mean, you pair Antonio Brown with DK Metcalf, who is a target monster, big guy, goes up and gets some. He can go up and get it like the best of them. Lockett, a guy who can stretch the field, good speed, has really improved as a route runner. And then you add Antonio Brown, who's an incredible route runner, can do everything, can make guys miss, can stretch the field, he can do everything. But that's not what the Seahawks need. And look, if you have a chance to sign Antonio Brown to a very low-risk deal, depending on where you are, you know, like, I don't expect a team like Washington or the Jaguars to go out and get Antonio Brown based on where they are in the rebuilding process. But a team like Seattle that obviously has a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl this year, yeah, why not kick the tires in him and send him to a low-risk, high-reward deal? But that's also not where they need help. They need help on that defense. And a defense that was very skeptical, you know, I was very skeptical of that defense heading into the season. They have Quinn Dunbar. They have Jamal Adams, who should be returning. He's been banged up, missed a couple games. That pass rush, though, has not been good. It's been non-existent. I've been saying they probably need another pass rusher, and I guess preferably another corner. I didn't know if they absolutely needed it, but it sure seems like they do, as that secondary overall has just not played well. So you, if, you, if you're the Seahawks, you're not going to turn down Antonio Brown at the right price you know if obviously if he wants a ton of guaranteed money i want to give him that 
But at the right price, especially with the guaranteed money, you're not turning down Antonio Brown. But if I were a Seahawks fan, and that's the only, as I said, the trade deadline's approaching. We just saw Yannick Ngakwe get traded. Go out and get a pass rusher. Go out and get a, a linebacker to go along with Bobby Wagner. You know, we'll see, is Jordan Brooks, you know, ready to be that guy right now? I think, I believe he's also been banged up with Jamal Adams. I just don't think, the, C- the Seahawks don't need another weapon on offense. They also have Chris Carson, who's been a more than serviceable running back. They don't, obviously, and then Russell wasn't the MVP of the league right now. So the Seahawks don't need a weapon. So I'm not saying don't do it, but that should not be your number one priority. That should not be your greatest concern of, oh, let's go get a third receiver. You're not going to say no. You leave all options open. But if the Seahawks don't come out with some with a real a nice contributor on defense, whether it's a, you know signing a guy who can make an impact or a trade, which right now I think you know I know Damon Snacks Harrison is on their practice squad, but you know he's a nice run stuffer, and at his age, you know how how productive can he be? But they need a pass rusher. I think they need a corner. If they got one, if they get one impact defender, now I think that that team becomes all that scarier. Because the reason why a lot of people like Pittsburgh, and the reason why I'm picking Pittsburgh as an example, is because of that defense. And remember, I picked the Seahawks to play the Steelers in the Super Bowl. I love Russell Wilson. but And I, I love Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has been incredible this year. Ben, ben Roethlisberger has been great. I'm not bashing Ben Roethlisberger. As a player, he's been incredible. But that Steelers defense, I just learned this today, and I was watching ESPN, and I think he was on uh, Get Up, and I, I want to say it was Mike Greenberg who put out the stat. Last year, in games where that Steelers offense scored 11 points, 11 points, which the Steelers offense now is scoring that times three. But in games they scored 11 points, the Steelers went 8-3 and three last year. 8-3 and three in games they scored just 11 points. Shows how dominant that defense is. And I knew that defense probably would not be that good. But the reason why I picked Pittsburgh was that defense. Tampa Bay is 4-2, and two, and we'll get to them in just a sec. But Brady, yeah, he's played well. But I wouldn't say that offense has been maybe what we expected. It's, you know, been great at times. But the Bucks' defense... Is playing really well right now. That Bucks defense has played. I said it was underrated coming into this year, and I don't think it's underrated much longer. I mean, they they, they played exceptionally well. But Seahawks defense is not. And you know, Russell Wilson has kind of carried that overall team. Obviously, he has a ton of weapons on offense, as you know, guys like Metcalf and Lockett have really blossomed. But the Seahawks need an impact defender. And if I'm a Seahawks fan. And we don't trade for an impact defender. And I don't... What is an impact defender? I don't think there's, like, a strict, you know, definition. It's more of a case-by-case basis. So, And I don't really know who's available on the trade market. You know, I'm not some inside source, and so I don't know any of that stuff. So, But if the Seahawks don't make an impact trade for that defense, as a Seahawks fan, I'd be pretty disappointed. A few years ago, the NFL trade deadline wasn't much. MLB trade deadline, NBA trade deadline, those were the big stories. Those were the big, yeah, those were the big stories. But, 
the NFL trade line has become much more of a storyline, as we saw just today. Yannick Ngakwe. Pretty name-brand player. And I know Ngakwe hasn't played great. But a third and a fifth? I don't know Seattle's draft capital off the top of my head. But if I were a Seahawks fan, I know it's only one year, but this team is that good this year. And they can win it all this year. I think if I were a Seahawks fan, I would have wished the Seahawks pulled the trigger. Maybe they, maybe a call was never made. Maybe, you know, for the Seahawks, you know, with them and the Vikings in the same conference, maybe the Vikings would have wanted more. But if I could trade for Yannick a third and a fifth, a conditional fifth, I guess, and if I'm the Seahawks with where my team is in this position, absolutely, I would have done that. So we'll see. But if November 4th rolls around and this defense looks remarkably similar with no real major changes, yeah, I think I'd be a little disappointed if I were a Seahawks fan. So, yes, I do think Seattle wins. I do think Seattle's... For me, Seattle's probably the best team in the NFC. It's close between them and Tampa because of Tampa's defense. That's what's right now, you know, maybe really pushing the envelope there is Tampa's defense. So I think at the when I'm saying the Seahawks should make a move on defense, it's not because oh, you know, sneaking into the playoffs. I think they'll sneak into the playoffs, or not more than just sneak. I think they'll win their division. But this isn't about winning a division. It's about winning a Super Bowl. So I do think they get the win over Arizona and stand defeated. Now let's go to now let's go to Tom Brady and those Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they're facing the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas Who's, you know, surprised some people. Obviously, you know, I guess they beat the Chiefs. They beat the Saints. I don't think they beat the Bucks. And at the end of the day, I think it's because of that defense. I think Brady's going to have a big game. I think Brady's going to have a big game. I think that offense is going to have a big game. Viking, or sorry, the Vegas defense isn't very good. It's been, you know, solid at times, I guess. But I think Evans, Godwin, they all seem to be healthy. Ronald Jones has been incredible for that offense. It's, you know, when you have a great quarterback and the passing attack is number one, look what that look what a running game can do. It opens up the running game. So I think Tampa gets the win, and I think the offense is a nice game, but that defense. Levante David and Devin White were making plays behind the line of scrimmage all day against Green Bay. Jason Peter Paul looks like the guy before the fireworks accident, where he took the league by storm in the year the Giants won the Super Bowl. He's looked dominant. We haven't even seen much from Shaq Barrett, I feel like. So I mean, Car- Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, this secondary, which was a huge question mark coming in. I was really concerned for the secondary. I thought Tampa's front seven is very good. But that secondary, I'm worried. They've been incredible. Hats off to Todd Bowles. And Todd Bowles, I think, deserves another head coaching opportunity. I mean, he almost took the Jets to the playoffs, and look where the Jets are now. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. He didn't have a ton of talent. He had some talent. He didn't have a ton of talent. He almost took the Jets to the playoffs. I think Todd Bowles deserves another opportunity coaching. This, Whether it's this offseason or whether it's next season or two or three seasons down the line, but I think Todd Bowles deserves another opportunity to be the Buccaneer, to be a head coach in the NFL. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It happens. Some some coaches are more cut out to be coordinators than head coaches. It happens. Look at Pat Shermer as an example. But we see some coaches not do well the first time, make adjustments, and have success 
the second time around. And I think Todd Bowles at least deserves that second opportunity. The, we see the Jets. They broke Sam Darnold. Um, Adam Gase, I don't, he's not a great head coach, but the Jets are a hot mess. And it's very tough to, you know, to succeed there even as a head coach. You know, and again, I don't think Gase will go somewhere else and be great. But I do think, you know, Todd Bowles could go somewhere else and he can be a solid head coach. So I would like to see, again, maybe it's next year, maybe it's two or three years down the road. But the way that Buccaneers defense has performed, especially the secondary, which has completely overperformed in my opinion, Todd Bowles deserves another crack at a head coaching gig. So let's now go to the final game Monday night. I expect this to be a very good game. In fact, the it's the Bears and the Rams. And it's a, the line is Rams by six. I think that's a that's a lot. I guess if you're doing the home if you're giving the Rams three points for home field, it's Rams by three, which makes more sense. If if this game were in Chicago, I'd go with the Bears. I think this Rams team is much better when the elements and the weather conditions kind of appeal to them. Obviously, it's in a dome. The weather will be controlled. So I'm picking the Rams here. I think they're going to have a bounce-back game. I picked them to lose last week. So I thought I was crazy. I picked them to lose last week against the Niners, and I was right. But I do think they get back on track. And I think the Bears, I think this is going to be a really good game, a really close game. I think the Bears could force Goff into a mistake or two. But I think not playing in that cold Chicago weather, I think that's going to hurt the Bears a little. I think the Bears played their best football when they're playing in that type of weather. So again, if this game were in Chicago, I would pick the Bears. But the game is not in Chicago. And for that reason, and not alone, but for that big reason... I'm going with the Los Angeles Rams to the point. So if the, if the Rams do win, both teams would be five and two, as the Bears are five and one, leading their division. Packers are four and one. Packers had their bye. Bears have not yet. So Bears, you know, I expect Packers Bears uh, to be tied atop the division at the end of this week. So I guess kind of as we wrap up this podcast. Uh, kind of, you know, I usually do like the one more thing, one more thing with Shy, but I guess with him not being here, my one more thing, it's two a time. It's two a time in Miami, and Ryan Fitzpatrick has done a great job. And I don't know if I would have benched Fitzpatrick, but now that it's done, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Tua, and I, as I've said many times, I believe he's gonna be better than Burrow if he can stay healthy. I said that going into the draft. I said that going into the season. Now, Burrow has played very well. (laughs) But I still think there's so much talent there where if he's with the right coaches, and I know Brian Flores is defensive-minded, but I believe the Dolphins, as just an organization that's well-run, is headed in the right direction with Ryan Fitzpatrick as as basically a coach as well. I'm excited to see what Tua brings to the table. I think the Dolphins are going to lose some games now. They are 3-3. Three and three. I don't see them finishing 8-8. Eight and eight, And I think there will be a bit of a drop-off because you're putting a rookie in there. A guy who's never played at the NFL level other than throwing those two passes at the end of last week's game. A guy who has to get adjusted to the speed of the game. The speed of the NFL. But I think two is going to be a very good quarterback. And I'm very, very excited, as I've said many times, to see what Tua can be can become 
whether, you know, we'll see how it is this year. Uh, but if not this year, definitely in the years to come, I think Tua is going to be a special player if he can stay healthy. And that's a big if. But Tua, Tua is the real deal in my mind. So that's that's my kind of one more thing. Obviously, you know, this has been compared to when Kurt Warner was with the Giants, and despite the Giants having a winning record at 5-4 and four and being right in the thick of things in the playoff picture, they benched Warner. They were actually 5-2. and two. They lost two straight. They benched Warner for Eli Manning, and kind of the rest is history. Eli goes on to win two Super Bowls. And, you know, Fitzpatrick, you know, props to him. You know, he obviously done a great job, but also just sharing his raw emotions, saying how he was heartbreaking, and, yeah, I bet it was tough for him. But knowing, obviously, I don't know no Fitzpatrick, but, you know, through through other people, through, you know, watching TV of guys who cover the Dolphins and have covered Fitzpatrick in the past, I think he's going to be a pro's pro. I think he's going to do a great job, and I think he's going to continue to teach Tua. And I think Tua is going to have a great coach in Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see if this is the end of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know he's probably getting up there, but he still showed he can sling it at times. So we'll see what the next chapter is for him. But uh, approach pro Fitzpatrick is props to him. And the Dolphins are a very interesting team watch. Interesting team to watch. They might not win that many more games. But with Tua at QB, they'll be very interesting to give a watch to. Especially because I believe they have the Chargers and Bengals coming up. So we get to see Tua Herbert and Tua Burrow. Obviously, just their rookie years. Anything can happen after the rookie year. But obviously, very intriguing matchups to watch. That's going to be it for NFL Game Time Podcast Week 7 Games. We covered some trades early on. Obviously, the Tua uh, replacement. And uh, we'll hope you join us for next week. Uh, Hopefully, uh, Shai Dweck. We'll be back and running it with me, and we will see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.